So for the past month, we've been asking each other a simple question. Church, why bother? Why should we bother with this place called the church? There's a whole generation, the millennial generation coming up that's asking that question. They're evaluating whether they're going to stick around here in the church or not. And sadly to say, many of them are finding that there isn't a reason for them to stay. And they're walking away. So we've been asking that question. We're trying to learn from them, to look at things from their perspective, to ask the questions that they're asking so that we can become better who God created us to be as followers of Jesus Christ and as the church. And so this morning is our last question for this series. And the question that, that we're asking is, is the church relevant? That's what they're asking about us, the church. Is the church relevant? Really what they're asking, if I can reword it, they don't realize they're asking this, but they're asking, is the church reformed? Okay, they aren't that interested in denominational labels, okay? But they're asking, is, is the church reformed? You see, our reformed tradition challenges us, really requires us to take the truth that we discover about God about this world, about ourselves. Remember we talked about that last Sunday. We ask good questions and we discover truth together, right? So this truth that we discover about God, about us, about this world, it requires us not just to know that truth, but to do something with it. To, to do something with this truth that God reveals. We must live that truth out in this world. Being Christian and being reformed requires us to be engaged in this world for God's purposes. And that really is one of the significant items that sets us as reformed Christians apart from your general evangelical Christians. Okay, we are not only concerned with where we will end up when we die, but we are also concerned with how we live right here on this earth. Right? We are not only concerned about getting to heaven someday, but we are concerned about bringing heaven down to this earth right now. We are not so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. So we, the church, must be relevant in this world. Meaning, yes, we care about people knowing Jesus. We have to. We better. We care about people knowing Jesus. And... We also care about poverty, and we care about sex trafficking, and we care about homelessness, and we care about racism, and we care about sexism, and we care about, about all the injustices that rack this broken world. Okay, and here, I think, is where we really need to learn from the millennial generation around us. Because their voice is a voice that is calling us to truly be reformed, even if they're not using that word, right? To be a community that is active and relevant in what is going on in the world all around us. And if we are not going to be relevant in the world, then we have forgotten what it means for us to be reformed Christians. And we better expect an exodus of young people from our, from our church. I thought maybe this morning, this chair might help us better understand what we're talking about. 
This chair, uh, if you were here during Lent, back in last year, February, and we, we worked through our one-word prayer series, we encouraged you to find a place like this, a comfortable place in your house, where you would intentionally, for up to 10, at least 10 minutes a day, sit and be with God. I hope you did that. I hope maybe some of you continue that, still do it. Maybe you have a comfortable place in your house like this chair where daily you, you go to be with God and, and you, you spend time in his word, right? You spend time opening his word and listening to him. And, and maybe you spend some, a few moments in, in, in a devotional book that you like and you spend time learning from someone else. And, and hopefully you're spending a few moments just quietly in prayer. Remember we talked about about prayer being not only us giving God a laundry list of what we want and what we need, but, but prayer also listening carefully to what God is saying. You remember we encourage you maybe sometimes just sit in your living room and look out the window. Just quietly stare out the window and listen for God to speak. I hope some of you still do that. So, so you have this chair, this place that, that you come and meet God and spend time with him. And then, both literally and figuratively, right, we've got these things of God. Both literally and figuratively, we set these things aside, and we put them away, and then we move and turn our attention to the things of the world, right? We pick up the newspaper, and we start reading the headlines, or we pull up the headlines on, on our favorite computer device, and we engage with this world around us. And suddenly we're, we're making opinions. We're forming opinions and ideas and shaping perspectives and all the things going on in the world around us, right? And so we, we read about, about the white supremacists in Charlottesville and, and we're forming opinions on racism in our country and race relations. And, and we read about the, the massacre that happened in Las Vegas and we're, we're forming opinions about gun control and other debates that come out from that event. And, and we read about about the Flint water crisis, the repercussions are still happening and, and we form opinions and perspectives on how that all should go down and, and what should happen there. And, and we make opinions about whether football players should be allowed to kneel during the national anthem or not kneel during the national anthem. And, and we, we begin to, to shape perspectives on, on what we think about, about tax reform and healthcare reform and and. And, and immigration and all those political items, right? And, and we read in the headlines about, about energy and we debate clean energy and coal and we get our opinions and our perspectives on that. We read about hurricanes that continually just seem to be marching up from the south and wildfires burning out west. And, and, and we process all that. We read about tensions in North Korea, Venezuela, Spain, Iran, and we shape our perspectives and our decisions from what we're reading about. And the sad thing is, so often these two sides of me never meet. They never mix. Right? So, so on one side I've got my, my spiritual stuff, and on the other side I've got my secular stuff. On one side I've got my things of God, on the other side are the things of the world. Over here, I've got my biblical knowledge and my, and my church stuff. And over here, I've got my, my, my rest of the week knowledge, my rest of the week practices. I've got my church friends, and I've got my rest of the week friends. I've got God over here, and I've got the world over here. And they never meet. 
And that's exactly the opposite of what God calls for us as individuals and as a church community. Yes, God expects us to be over here growing in knowledge and love of him, digging deep into his word, listening to his voice, growing in him. And he expects us to take this spiritual side of our lives and to carry it over here to all this stuff going on as well. And he expects it to shape our perspectives and to shape our opinions and to shape our stances. He expects our faith to inform and shape every part of our lives. He expects us to pray and to be busy acting in the world. And they should go hand in hand. You can't do one without the other. But I was struck with that truth, that combination of prayer and action in a story, an Old Testament story that, that I would guess almost all of us have heard before, that you're familiar with. It's from Exodus chapter 14. It's the story of the nation of Israel crossing through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground, right? And the water's coming crashing down again on top of the Egyptian soldiers, right? So, so with that story, if I were to pick up the Egyptian press on the day that Exodus 14 happened, right? What would the headlines be? Well, first of all, you need to know that the obituary section would still be really big because we're just in the shadow of all the firstborns who have, who have died from the 10th plague, right? But I think one of the headlines would, would be still following up on this great escape of all the, the Israelite slaves. They up and left one night and they're gone. And that's still big news. And, and you, would, you would read about how they this whole nation of people wandered out into the desert to get away from Egypt, and they weren't doing so hot. They wandered out into the desert, and they kind of got lost. They walked in circles for a while, and then actually they ended up walking back right towards Egypt again until they found themselves plopped between Egypt, who they're trying to get away from, and the Red Sea, which is blocking them. Okay, and Moses, Moses seems to be having a hard time here. Okay, people aren't real happy with Moses, right? So you read that headline, but, but I think the big headline in the Egyptian press of the day would be war. War is happening because that very morning, Pharaoh himself, with all of his chariots, with all of his horses, with all of his troops, set out to go get those Israelites back. Either to wipe them out or bring them back. Read through the article about Israel and you'd find out that things aren't so hot there. Right? The insider information coming out of their camp on the Red Sea there says that, that they're frustrated, they're afraid, they're scared, they're, they're arguing amongst each other. They don't know what to do. So you have the hawks on one side saying, here come the Egyptians, we need to fight. We need to battle with them. Yes, they may litter this desert with our bodies but we must stand firm for freedom. And you have the doves on the other hand saying, are you crazy? They'll wipe us out. We need to surrender. Yes, it was hellish being a slave in Egypt, but at least we were alive. At least our kids and our grandkids might have a shot at life. And poor Moses is caught in the middle. And they're, they're blaming him. It looks like his leadership moment is going to be really, really short. 
what isn't in the headlines of the Egyptian press is what Moses does. You have Moses, you see it in, chapter, in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. Moses stands up in front of the nation, in front of all the people who are scared out of their minds. And he says these words to them. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, because they saw them coming in the distance, right? These Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So he gives them that, that, that rallying cry. And then, you know what he does? Moses goes and finds his quiet place. I doubt he had a comfortable chair like this. But he goes off by himself to pray, to spend time with God, which is what we'd hope he would do as a leader, right? And, and in this conversation he has with God, he, he begs God for deliverance for the people. He pleads with God to rescue them. He implores God to somehow make what seems impossible possible. He spends this time with God in prayer. And then I'm struck in verse 15. God's answer to Moses' prayer. God hears and sees Moses pleading with him. And here's what he says to him. He says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move. Isn't that a little surprising? It seems like that's the right thing for Moses to do. He's the leader. He should be on his knees before God in prayer. And God comes, sees him, and says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move. In other words, there's a time to pray, and there's a time to get up and go. There's a time to act. God was ready to move. He was ready to part the Red Sea. He just needed Moses to get up, go to the sea, and hold his hand out over the waters, and the waters would part. He was ready to rescue the nation of Israel. He just needed them to be, to be confident and trust him enough to go walk through those waters on dry ground. He was ready to crush the Egyptian army. He just needed them to get through the waters, to dare to walk with these walls of water on either side, to get to the other side so that then he could crash those waters back down on the Egyptian army. God was ready to act through his people. He was ready to move. He was ready to do something. He just needed them to move. So God's message to Moses there on his knees was, Moses, you've already heard I've already told you what I'm going to do. You know my desires. You know my plans. So now get up off your knees and let's go make it happen. Get up and go. And that is God's message to the church still today. As followers of God, both as individuals and as a church family together here called Ivan Rest Church. I think we have learned pretty well how to be faithful disciples of God, how to live that, that discipleship life. We know how, how to 
read a devotional book. We know how to open scripture and read it. We got tools all around us to help us understand it. We know how to find a quiet place and spend time with God in prayer. We know how to sit here on Sunday mornings and listen to sermons and sing songs and, and to live that, that disciplined Christian life. Now I think God looks at us and he tells us, okay, now get up and go. Now get up and move. It's time to go live out the plans and desires that I've told you about, that you know I want. Now it's time for you to go so that I can release my power through you. So last month, as, as part of my sabbatical reading, I read this book called uh, Preaching, The Art of Narrative Exposition by Calvin Miller. I would expect that none of you have ever read it and that none of you ever will. It's a how-to book about preaching for preachers. Okay? But there was one line in here that really struck me. And it was just one simple sentence. And it, it, I think it's very true. It's a line, a truth that we as preachers hate to hear. He wrote this. He said, most people would rather listen to sermons than act on them. Well, that's humbling for those of us who preach sermons, who think we're changing lives, right? But I think it's true. I'll throw myself into that category. I'd rather just listen to a sermon than have to do something about it, than have to act on it. But many individuals in the millennial generation right now are turning that statement on its head. They would rather go and do something. They would rather act than sit and listen to a sermon. Many millennials are looking for a church, looking for a church community that is acting on what they are hearing and learning. They're the ones who are looking at us. Again, they wouldn't use this term, but to see if we're truly reformed, if we're going to engage in this world and pursue God's desires in really practical, life-changing, world-changing, society-shaping ways. And if we will listen to this practical question of theirs, asking us if we are relevant to the world, if we would look at our community from their perspective, if we'd see if we're we're doing and living out what we're called to do and who we're called to be. I think we might be a little bit uncomfortable. And maybe that's why we prefer not to listen to them. Right? In, in our discomfort, they are calling on us, whether they know it or not, to consistently think about life from a godly perspective. All of life. And that's something we often forget to do. Right? They're bringing us back to, their question brings us back to the two basic values that define us as being reformed Christians. Right? Rather than, than choosing to ignore the things of this world in order to favor the more godly things, the godly disciplines, they are calling us to be actively engaged in the things of this world, to read our newspapers with our Bibles in hand. Right? This dichotomy of, of spiritual and secular, of religious and irreligious, 
of holy on this side and worldly on the other side. It's a false dichotomy. It's a split that doesn't make any sense because all of life is spiritual and all of life is religious and all of life is holy. What we hear about here on Sundays, what we read about in Scripture, what we hear from God in prayer is intended to directly shape our perspectives on everyday life. Being reformed means that we apply the biblical truths that we learn and believe. We apply them to our daily actions in this world. It means we think about and we process and we respond to the issues of our day through the lens of faith first and foremost. Right? Our faith is what now informs our opinions. Our faith is what informs our decisions. Our faith is what informs our actions. Our faith is what informs our perspectives. Yes, both within this community, but also in this world. This millennial generation is looking for a faith community that reads today's headlines through the call of Scripture and responds accordingly. They're looking for a faith community that is constantly asking, what are we doing in this world to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength? What are we doing in this world to love our neighbors as ourselves? And you remember who Jesus said our neighbors are. What are we doing in this world in our pursuit of justice? What are we doing in this world because we love mercy in Jesus' name? What are we doing in this world that demonstrates daily that we are humbly walking the path that God has laid out for us, pursuing his desires, moving where he says to move? They're reading the headlines and they're asking us what we as Christians are doing about racism and sexism. They're asking what we are doing as Christians to pursue the justice that God calls us to pursue. What are we doing as Christians about poverty, about caring for the marginalized and the oppressed? They're asking what we as Christians are doing about immigration and health care and tax reform and how we proceed with both justice and with love and grace. They're asking what we as Christians, how we're caring for creation. They're asking how we as Christians are being peacekeepers while also protectors. They're looking to the church to model godly action in a world that's broken. Action that is rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ, that's rooted in the gospel of God, the good news of salvation in Jesus, and that's rooted in the call of Scripture on our lives. That does not mean that we all come to the exact same conclusions all the time. I'm not going to tell you what to think. 
but it does mean that we think. We think spiritually. We think critically. It does mean we actively, thoughtfully, intentionally, prayerfully process all of our opinions, all of our thoughts, all of our decisions, all of our actions through the lens of faith first and foremost. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, I would guess that we'd have to admit that we don't always do that. Maybe we don't usually do that. There are so many other lenses that we use to shape our opinions, to shape our perspectives, to shape our responses and our actions to the things going on in this world. Right? So we read the daily, the daily headlines. And often we're tempted to look at them through our political lenses before we look at them through our biblical lens. Right? Whether you, you side Republican or Democrat, we're tempted to see everything through that party lens. And so we thoughtlessly toe the party line instead of working to discern God's truth from his word and apply that. Or, or sometimes we're tempted to look at what's going on through, through our own economic economic lens instead of our biblical lens. So we look at what's going on. We shape our opinions based on what will serve us best financially. What will do best for my business? What will save me the most money when it comes to taxes? What serves me the best? Instead of looking at what God says about economics and wealth and asking, what is God asking me to do with my wealth? How am I supposed to handle it? How am I the best steward? of what God has given me. Or we're tempted to look at what's going on through the, through the lens of our own comfort. Right? We've got it pretty good here in West Michigan. And so we hear God's call on our lives from Scripture and we see opportunities to apply it and we ask ourselves, okay, how is that going to disrupt my life? How is that going to disrupt my routine? What if it happens on the weekend, God? Are you asking me to disrupt my weekend? or my summer, we process everything through the filter of our comfort, and we shape our perspectives that way. So often we're tempted to, to look through our racial lens, aren't we? We just accept the privileges that come our way because of the color of our skin, and we choose not to make the effort to try and understand what it's like to live in this country from someone from a different race, from a different nationality. What is it like for them? We're tempted to look at what's going on through the perspective of our own experience, right? And we assume everybody has the same opportunities. Everybody has the same experience as me. And so if they don't make it the way I made it, it's because they made some poor choices and I don't need to worry about them then, right? It's a great way for us to keep someone different at a distance because we're looking through the perspective of our own experience. There's so many lenses that we interpret this world through instead of the lens of Scripture. When we read and react to the headline topics of our world, to the headline issues in our lives, as Christians, we need to read them through the lens of faith. We need to ask first and foremost, what would it mean? What would it mean for me to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength 
in this situation? What would it mean for me to love my neighbor as myself in this situation? What would it mean for me to stand for justice and to pursue justice in this situation? What would it mean for me to love mercy in this situation? What does it mean? What does it look like for me to walk humbly with God in this situation, listening to his path, listening to, him, listening to his desire, his plan, not mine. What would that look like? There is a generation watching us, watching to see if this community this community called the church, this community where we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, they're watching us to see if we are relevant to their lives, if we are relevant to this world. They are watching to see if we are both Christian and Reformed. They are watching to see if we will be engaged in this world, if we will if we will have the desire to grow God's kingdom, not only over here, in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own community, yes, that's important. They're watching to see if we will grow God's kingdom over here, but they're also watching to see if we care about growing God's kingdom over here, in this world that is hurting and desperately needs Jesus Christ in God's ways and needs the church to rise up so that the power of God can be released through people who have been on their knees and who have listened to God say, this is my desire and this is my plan and who then stand up and go. And the power of God to pursue justice and to love mercy is released through them. They're looking for us to lead they're looking for us to be people of godly action. And you know what? If we let them, they might just help lead us in that process. Would you pray with me? God, it's so easy for us to stay over on one side, to stay here in the spiritual world, to spend time quietly in our comfortable chairs, reading your word, immersing ourselves in a devotional book, quietly sitting and listening for you, speaking with you, to come to the safety of this room and listen to sermons and sing songs and just to stay right there and to keep that side of our lives, this spiritual side, this God side, to keep that totally separate from the rest of our lives. That's easier. That's cleaner. That's safer. Then we can think what we want 
then we can think what would, be, what would be best for us as we shape our opinions and values as we live our lives. But Father, give us the ears to hear you when you say to us, what are you doing here? Why are you on your knees? I've told you what I desire. I've told you to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly along the path that I've set for you. Now get up and go. Go and live it. Give us the courage, Father, to stand up out of our comfortable chairs and to step into this world for your cause and for your kingdom. Teach us how to read the headlines through the lens of Scripture, how to make decisions filtered through your word, how to be the kind of people and how to be the kind of community through whom you can release your life-changing, life-shaping, life-transforming power, through whom heaven can make its way to earth. And Father, we realize that that won't always be easy. That as we live for you, we will be criticized, we will be opposed. We might fail. We might even be punished. But Father, you don't necessarily call us to be successful. You call us to be faithful. And so help us to be your faithful people. I thank you, Father, for the millennial generation that is asking good questions of us, that is driving us towards becoming who you've called us to be. So Father, raise them up within the church to shape us to move us and to lead us for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name we pray these things.